World War II, said to be the most well-documented conflict in history through video and photography. But what about audio? What was music, specifically, like during the timeline of 1939 to 1945? Well, let's explore the evolution of music, why people clung to it desperately for help, and why it was significant to groups and societies during the timeline of World War II. The Kiowakai Society is one example of a group that during the time of World War II were composed of Japanese Canadians who formed together in 1943. This episode is all about their story, how they overcame obstacles like being discriminated against or having racist words or actions being spoken to them or used against them, and how they used music and songs as their driving force to keep going. First, let's start with a little backstory about World War II itself. World War II lasted from September 1st, 1939 to September 2nd, 1945, and it created two military opponents, the Allies and the Axis. As we know, a man named Adolf Hitler came to power in Germany and supported the Nazi political party, later becoming the leader of this party. He invaded many countries with his Nazi Germany, but the invasion of Poland was the last straw for Britain and France. They gave the Nazi dictator an ultimatum, to get out of Poland or war. Hitler obviously ignored the choice, and on September 3, 1939, Britain and France declared war upon Germany. This is Episode 2, The Kaiwakai, and I'm your host, Malika Javert, and this is Turn It Up. We know that music is a big part of today's world, but what about back then? How was music a big part of the community during World War II? Well, for starters, the general popular genres included country sounds, barbershop quartets, swing, sentimental ballads, and hot jazz, among others. But many focused on their home songs. Now, what do I mean by home songs? Because I bet that's a genre you haven't really heard of very often. Let me tell you a short story about a soldier who used home songs while he served in World War II. Now a veteran, James Robin, served as one of the many soldiers in World War II, and he talked about how when his crew was preparing for battle, he used to repeat a song from his childhood, entitled Luck You, Lulu. He used music to, quote, keep him sane, as he says in a 2018 interview. It's interesting, because it was a form of music that meant something really important to him, and something memorable that kept him literally in his right mind. Music has evolved now. We have about 1,264 genres of music. Isn't that crazy? But still, many people cling to the music that means something to them and that actually has sentimental value. Steve Bordeaux from the Secrets of Radar Museum, located in London, Ontario, Canada, gives us some information as to what the music industry was really like during the timeline of World War II. I'm talking about him on the podcast today, because although he didn't live through World War II, he has close relatives, like his parents, who did. And he grew up listening to post-war music, and it gives us a lot of insight as to what the music industry looked like during that time. Steve says the period of time that we're talking about on the podcast today is known as the Big Band Era. Many orchestras became popular during this time, such as Artie Shaw, Benny Goodman, and Guy Lombardo, as well as solo singers like Bing Crosby and Frank Sinatra. 
Steve says many artists wrote and performed songs to boost the morale of the public during the war, and some even wrote and performed to promote the purchase of war bonds. He works for the Secrets of Radar Museum, and Steve talks a little bit about how the RCAF radar machines were a resourceful bunch and had to service multi-band receivers. The units under repair would be turned to broadcasters, like CBC, who would broadcast music, news, and even hockey scores. The broadcasters made sure that the NHL hockey scores and updates were available overseas to uplift the spirits of Canadian forces and to remind them of home. After talking to Steve about music and broadcasting in general, I wanted to go a little bit deeper into the story of the music of the Kiowakai Society. I contacted the Niki Internment Memorial Center and was fortunate enough to have Teresa respond to me. Teresa works at the Memorial Center, which is a center holding documentation and stories of Japanese Canadians during World War II. Now, the Memorial Center that Teresa works at was created and funded by the Kiowakai Society itself. The Niki Internment Memorial Center was created by the Kiowakai as a measure to protect their Japanese-Canadian culture. Another measure taken, and arguably the more significant one, is the choice the Kiowakai made to preserve their culture through music, songs, and instruments. You may ask, well, why were they so worried about preserving and saving and protecting their culture? At this time, the Kiowakai were being threatened. They were facing challenges like discrimination from others and racist words being spoken and racist acts being taken towards them. The elders of the society thought it was best to utilize their strengths in song and music to help secure their culture and beliefs, and that will help pass down the culture to the future generations. I immediately wanted to know more about this topic, and that's where Teresha comes in. I asked her a couple questions about the Kaiwakai, and she gave me the full dish. Today on the podcast, speaking the words of Teresa, will be Amina Javert. Based in New Denver, British Columbia, the main objectives of the society are to operate as a non-profit, primarily for the cultural, social, and community needs, care of the elderly Japanese, and for the purpose of providing and promoting educational, cultural, and community endeavors for the benefit of the Japanese members. Everyone has traditions and culture, and during times of struggle, it's easy to lose sight of what you believe in. The Kaiowakai Society used different drums and rhymes in their songs, which took a lot from other cultural groups. Although many others were using drums, lyrics, and sounds in their songs, the Kaiowakai created their own and made their songs very personal. I remember being told about a mother who used one of their songs while she was in the kitchen, cooking for her son and husband that were being used to labor during the war. Music has always been a significant part of the society. It brought them together during hard times, like World War II. Their culture was being threatened to stop practicing their traditions by concepts like discrimination or racism. But through their music and creation of this internment memorial centers, they have managed to preserve their culture. 
passing it down to their kids was another way they decided to save their culture from being taken away from them. The love for the Kiowakai's culture drove them to continue and not get discouraged with all the hate that they were getting. In this circumstance, the consequence was actually positive, considering they've been remembered with plaques and awards and a National Historic Site status at the Niki Internment Memorial Center. The Kaiowakai Society, a society consisting of Japanese Canadians who used music and songs to help them through the very difficult time of World War II. Unfortunately, the society disbanded in 2018 altogether, but there is a book that the Internment Memorial Center is composing. Entitled Kaiowakai Memory and Healing in New Denver, the book is scheduled to come out on the weekend of December 11th. The book will be all about the dedication and contributions the Kaiowakai made to the community. Before we end, I want to give a special thank you to Steve for talking about the generals of music during that time and giving us some insight as to what the music industry really looked like. Another special thank you goes out to Teresa, who helped give us some understanding as to who the Kaiowakai really were and how they used music to help protect their culture. Our last thank you goes out to you guys, my listeners. I can't express the utmost appreciation I have for all of you, and I really hope you all are enjoying my episodes and this podcasting journey. Stay tuned for our next episode, episode three, coming sooner than you think. This has been episode two, The Kaiowakai, and from your host, Malika Jaber, this is Turn It Up.